I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Hello there, guys, and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Joe Holbert, and I'm joined by a good friend of mine and a draft connoisseur, draft analyst, um, my good friend Justin Hodges, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. How's it going, Justin? I'm doing swell, my man. How about you? I'm good. Um, I've got to admit, of all the, this is the fourth draft I've covered. This is the uh, the weakest class. I'm, I'm starting off on a negative note, but yeah, it's uh, there's some players um, that are definitely worth talking about. I mean, what have you kind of? You've probably been covering the draft a little bit longer than me. Is this one of the weaker draft classes you've seen? Yeah, in the in recent years, you can definitely say it has been. Uh, the past few years, we've been really spoiled with just some loaded draft classes, either drafts that went a legitimate forty players deep, or drafts that had legendary, uh, you know, top tiers. But you no, know, that was in recent years, starting back to when you know we had like the first real generational prospect by an Andrew Wiggins back in 2014, 20 or 2013. But before that, you know. Back in like 2010, 2011, 2012, those are drafts that were definitely more comparable to this one we have now, just because those didn't really run as deep. Uh, Those older drafts were definitely, you know, you had your 10 or so, or, you know, you had a lottery set of prospects that you could definitely say could be playable. And then outside of that, you know, you're looking at just fringe role players, guys who will be battling to make rosters. And then as, you know, more and more, athletes became more genetically great more you know there's been a real surplus of talent in the best few drafts in terms of how many great prospects there have been Uh, this draft definitely doesn't compare to that it's lesser but there's still plenty of prospects that you can definitely look at and be like yeah this guy can make a roster yeah last year we were spoiled i mean everyone talks about young and Doncic, but i mean you even look at guys taken in the like late teens, early twenties, guys like Kevin Herter, Josh Okogie, like they're already pretty positive or at least promising uh, NBA players. It's not like they're in the D league. They are um, rotation pieces. So yeah, this, I think someone said it best on Twitter. This is kind of my take on the draft. There's a lot of great backup point guards in this, um, in this draft class. We're not talking about guards today. Though. We're going to talk about um, big men. So we're going to go through six um, I'm going to include Zion Williamson on a different podcast because I think he deserves his own his own section, really. So um, these this is in sort of no real order. Um, I would say it goes from best to worst, but this isn't like my big board or anything. So we're going to talk about guys I rate as the bigger prospects first. We're going to start with um, Brandon Clark, Justin, a very, I, I would say, quite a polarizing player because if you speak to guys actually who have sort of contacts in the league, people like Sam, Sam Vaseni, he's said that you know a lot of people around the league don't know whether this guy is a is a lottery level pick. But then you get draft Twitter, which is kind of probably what we have most of our interactions with. Um, I've seen some, might me included, have this guy as a top five talent. Where do you kind of stand on Brandon Clark? I would say I put myself you no know, sort of in the middle. Uh, you can see the clear negatives with him you can see why uh the higher ranked 
draft or draft analysts could have a problem. The wingspan being six, eight, him being six, eight, you know, it's not, we have guys like PJ Washington who have a wingspan of seven, three that can kind of compensate for their six, eight size. Clark isn't, doesn't have that luxury, but you know, he's still a top 10 prospect to me. I would pick him in the six to 10 range. Uh, his timing is magnificent, you know, a superb defender. You're talking about a guy who had more blocked shots than missed shots in college basketball this season. And I mean, he has a great offensive repertoire, a better set of skills offensively than I think a lot of people give him credit for. A lot, I think a lot of people are concerned with his size, especially since he's only about 207 pounds or so. But I mean, you can get him in the lane. He's physical. He has great touch. He's got one of the best... You know, mid-range floater hook shots I've ever seen. He's acrobatic and finish around the rim in a bunch of different ways. So with Clark, I'm not really worried because, I mean, his jumper is also one thing that a lot of people bring up as a negative. You know, you people just assume that everybody has to shoot threes now. But my philosophy with a player like Brandon Clark is that you can be a lacking three-point shooter if you're impacting the game in an elite way in a bunch of different ways. And Clark can do that. He will be, I think he will be a high impact defender just because of his timing. He's a high impact rebounder because he has a quality that I think he shares with Zion Williamson is that his reaction time. He's the first one to jump up and get a rebound every single time. You know, he times out his jumps perfectly. He's always the first one up to grab and he's got strong hands. He's a good post passer as well. Like I said earlier, he's can bust his way around the rim and finish with a soft touch. And so Clark's a guy that I'm not really worried with. I saw some mocks have him outside the lottery, and I think that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, he's a gifted, I think he's a gifted talent. He is a gifted mind, a get to maturity level. I think he can make a real positive impact right off the bat. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think he's a very uh, intelligent player. I kind of, I, th- I think one of the reasons going on you know to my timbers a lot of people want him is because he can give that weak side help that Carl Anthony Towns has not really had from his career Taj Gibson's a good post defender um very very intelligent defender but I don't think he had the timing the instincts that someone like Brandon Clark would um give you I want to pick your brain on the shooting there because there are some Brandon Clark skeptics who I mean, I have seen him compared to Andre Roberson. Andre Roberson is one of the least feared, maybe the least feared offensive player in the NBA. No one is is really scared of anything he's going to do on that end. Do you, I mean, personally, I don't think he's going to be that problematic as a shooter, but where do you kind of stand on his shooting? Could you see it being that level of bad, or do you think it could be a maybe like a, maybe like a Draymond Green level three where he, sort of can hit them and if he gets going defenses will have to respect him or do you kind of think it's going to be a that's not going to be a side of his game that we're going to see much of well I think he's very underrated with his touch in the mid-range area Uh, like I said earlier his post floater his post hook shot is very very good and that's because it has such a good soft touch on it and in that same area you know I see him take a lot of you know, little fadeaway uh, post jumpers or he's got his shoulder in the defender, takes a step back, kind of floats, shoots a fadeaway. I think that's a good shot that he could have. You know, you can't really compare it to guys like Roberson or Draymond because they're not effective in their mid-range game as well. I think 
you know, like I said earlier, he can impact the game in different ways to where he won't have to be, you know, an elite three-point shooter. And I mean, not to say that he could go back and hit a few, you know, we don't really know. It'll be depending on his growth and how much you can improve on that. But I think with guys you do struggle to put up good three-point numbers, it's just depending on how good their touch is. I think Clark has that soft touch to where if he works on enough that it can be well utilized going back to the three-point line. So you're very much a believer that he can punish you in other areas, whereas guys like Robeson can't punish you anywhere, basically. Right. Robeson, I mean, he's out there because, you know, he's a high-octane perimeter defender. And it's kind of, he's kind of a one-trick pony in that regard. I don't think Clark is a one-trick pony with just his shot blocking. You know, I think he can go out and be well-disciplined, guard on those elbows, guard a guy in the corner, he can switch pretty well. You know. It, and I mean, I hate to get off topic with the jumper, but you know, I, that's the one thing I want to emphasize with him is that he is just impacting the game in a lot of different ways. So if he adds that jumper, you know, it's going to be a whole new level for him. And I mean, it's a lot of it is going to be depending on where he winds up to uh, say he winds up in Atlanta. It's probably going to be game over because pick and rolls with him and Trey Young are going to be unstoppable because he is a pretty decent role, man. He can cut pretty well too and like i said he's you know he doesn't it's not like he struggles finishing at the rim this guy shot 70 percent from the from on two-point shots and i mean like i said he's got that post floater he's good with reverse layups he's good with taking his time he's got a nice soft touch with just banging and getting close layups off the glass as well and so he's got a good offensive repertoire i think that can open up a lot more things from depending on if he's got a good coaching staff and he's in an offense that's got a good enough steam scheme to where he can get those consistent good looks yeah i think something that's, that could be key with him is making sure and it's it's not and i'm not saying he couldn't play with a rim running center but i think one of the things that will will maximize this game is putting him alongside a a more of a um, stretch kind of big. That's why I like his fits in Atlanta. If you keep hold of Dwayne Dedman and also Minnesota, because he'd be alongside um, someone, someone like Carl Anthony Towns. Have you got any other fits off the top of your head that you kind of like for Brandon Clark? I mean, you've from speaking to you before, I believe you kind of want him in Atlanta quite, quite badly. And I think you've got a good chance of getting him because I don't see um, who before you is going to pick him. Right. Uh, I actually think, you know, the Bulls, I mean, they'll probably pick a point guard because that's what they need. But I would, you know, like him, even as a role player off the bench, you know, that a little trio of him with Lowry Markkinen and Wendell Carter, who can do a bunch of different things, would be really interesting to see him work and see that trio of bigs work really well. Uh, Other fits, I mean... Not really off the top of my head. You bring up Minnesota. I think it's an exceptional fit, like you said, because he can really uh, help Towns with help defense. You know, I think that's another very underrated part of his game, especially with the shot blocking. It's not that he's chasing blocks. He's making good decisions and playing good help defense on that. You can even look at a team like the Hornets, uh, who could use a little bit of a difference maker down low. Uh, Marvin Williams just exercised his option and don't really have anyone battling around the rim like that. So it'd be interesting to see him, you know, where he's got the entire post to operate. You know, it'd be interesting to see him with a team that's kind of got a lot of other shooters, uh, a team that 
you know, typically would run, could run like a five out offense and then just have him operate in the mid area on his own, seeing him with in like the key post area with a lot of space would be really interesting just because like I said, he can operate. He's got that post floater, but he can really create off the dribble as well. So it's just, he'll need a team with good spacing and he'll be really good with a lot of off ball moving around him. But then that's just why I think Atlanta's that's why I want him there because Lloyd Pierce is so exceptional with, you know, all those sets and his impact in the double drag game, which we like to do a lot would be a really interesting fit. Yeah. I think him and Debman in, um, in those double drag sets would just be, it just adds just an extra layer. It's, um, Clark's decisive, his timing, and obviously, you know, it, it's whether you kind of keep hold of Deadman for the long term. But I think he's he's an exceptional fit. You've you've met of him in the draft. Uh, one last question I kind of want to go at you, and you did kind of touch on it in your last answer. You talked about how he, he needs a team with floor spacing. Let's say he goes to a team um, without floor spacing. Do you maybe think that they would maybe try and force the spot up three game that might not be there. The spot up three game for Clark is all theoretical at the moment. He's got that good touch inside, but do you kind of think that if he went to a team with a more rim running, ring, rim running big, say the Wizards with Thomas Bryant, do you think then they would kind of, maybe a team would mischaracterize him and sort of try and turn him into this stretch four? The Wizards were the exact team I was going to bring up for that example, and I could definitely see it. Uh, you know, a team like that is, you know, they're going to want more spacing and because, you know, you're going you're gonna to need a center to compliment him with because I don't see him, you know, unless a team tries to experiment and put him at the three, which I don't think would work out as well. You're going to need a center to just that's going to compliment him. And, you know, Clark in his essence is going to work around the rim a lot because he's where it's most effective. And, you know, a lot of, I saw a lot of, of uh, plays with Gonzaga last season where, you know, guys like Hachimura would be camped out around the rim. And even with a whole bunch of bodies around him, he'd still be able to finish with those bodies around him. Uh, it would be disappointing to see, but if he took that challenge, like I said, I think he could be a somewhat decent spot shooter, but that doesn't need to be the forefront of his game. So a team like Washington or even a team like say Miami per se, if they were still keeping us on white side or even with Bam out of bio with him, since he's not stretching the floor that much, it'd become pretty crammed, especially since those teams don't have the most reliable three point shooters as well. Teams could really collapse on against them and would kind of be buggy and mess everything up. So yeah, I could definitely see that and would it's obviously not optimal. You wouldn't want to see that with him because he wouldn't be utilized to his fullest potential. Now he's certainly a player I'm watching. I think he's at four on, on my big board and we're going to now move on to a guy who I think is, I say, I think not because I've not memorized it, but because it is kind of just changing guys are moving down. So one or two spots at the moment, as I kind of finish my tape, uh, we're going to go on to Goga Batadze. He's um, a player who will be more familiar to our UK based listeners because of his, um, because of the fact he plays over here. But Justin, before we podded, the word we both used to describe this guy was fluid. Um, could you kind of expand on that for for everyone and sort of go through his strengths and what, you know, why his fluidity is important and can maybe contribute to winning basketball in the NBA? 
Well, his fluidity is key because it makes him very dangerous in the screen roll game. You know, a big part of the screen roll game with him is how those opposing defenders are reacting to him going towards the rim. And when he's that fluid, he's he's not worried about, you know, he's not worried about, I guess not worried about messing up and not worried about like corralling the pass or, you know, losing control of his body or, you know, stumbling a bit going towards the rim. He's going like when he's got a straight line to the rim, he's getting there. No problem. And he can operate around bigs as well. But the fluidity also goes into how he finishes around the rim. You know, he can fit, finish contorted layups, awkward layups. A couple of times when he's underneath the rim, he's still able to flick up a left-handed layup with ease, a good left-handed finger roll. I think he's very fluid with his offhand as well as he is with his right hand. Uh, I honestly think this guy is the top center in the class. And I think just looking at him, watching him play, he's a perfect mold for a modern center. You know, that three-point shot is very, very reliable. When it comes to defense, he can move extremely well. That fluidity that we talked about, it's one thing on offense, but watching him on the perimeter, he's very fluid in how he's able to move with opposing ball handlers. Even if he switched on a point guard, guy is driving to the rim, he's able to move, keep his hip on him and make a play. You know, his, his shot blocking is very tremendous. You know, I don't think it's the best in the class. I would give that not the Brandon Clark, but he's a very highly effective rim protector, especially with that size. You know, you're talking about, I think he's 6'11", seven, 7 foot, 250 plus. And I think he's still got a good amount of room to fill out with his body. You know, the screen roll game I brought up earlier, his jumper is going to make the screen and pop game very effective with him too. This guy just does a whole lot of different things. And it just look at him. This guy just looks like an NBA player. He looks like a polished professional. That's why I'm so high on him. The fluidity is a big part of that because it's effortless for the most part. Yeah. And the other thing I like about him as well is I think with some of the centers in this class, certainly, um, certainly guys like Jackson Hayes is when they get the ball. I know Jackson Hayes didn't have too many touches. It kind of the elbow and, and the low post, but Goga, the the ball keeps moving with him. He's, I think he can be a positive passer from the elbow, uh, which we've seen a lot of NBA teams are out of horn sets. They will give it to their center and, you know, they have cutters going back. I think he can, I think he can play in that. My, my only worry with him, the pick and in the pick and roll is I'm not sure about the short roll game yet, but that's the kind of the thing. It's the kind of thing that might develop with more NBA level spacing, uh, more moving shooters. But you you spoke there about the defense. I agree on the rim protection. I think this guy is a drop coverage big. I don't think he's a guy who. I think he can cover ground. I've seen a lot of people trying to make that case, but I don't think this guy is a switchable big and. One of the things that, and I'm going to ask if you agree with this, but there's a lot of people who say his brain is great defensively, but he can be at times quite slow to to approach, to move out. What do you kind of make of his defense? Would you agree with that or would you disagree with it? I sort of agree. One thing I noticed a little bit on tape was because there was there were a few times where he did look a bit hesitant to, to go up, did look a bit hesitant to really move around and help but I mean, when he's locked in on the guy he's defending, it's exceptional defense. I mean, it's disciplined defense as well. He's not chasing blocks. He's not throwing his body around or just trying to be physical. He's staying his ground. He's keeping his foot on the ground. He's keeping his arms up and making just contesting shots to the best of his ability. But I agree, you know, with 
in an NBA game, you know, you wouldn't really be able to switch him that well. And I do question his physicality a little bit. I'm not sure how well he'll be able to take contact, even if he starts building up some more size. His rebounding is also one thing I don't really see him like box out or really go up with opposing rebounders that well. But I mean, I, the rim protection is special. I mean, and you said earlier, he is smart, disciplined, and it's very effective. Yeah, and I think uh, I think um, this has certainly been something I've worked out on Timberwolves Twitter. I think people at times, um, I understand that there are a lot of teams who have been very effective with switching, but switching is not the answer to everything. And actually having, there are a lot of good, re- I, I stress regular season defenses here because... I still need to study more of the postseason tape to look at drop coverage. But teams like Portland and Milwaukee had a lot of real um, success with sort of conservative defense, uh, not over-switching, preferring to fight through screens rather than just switch on them. And having guys like Yusuf Nurkic, Brooke Lopez, it was Robin Lopez before Nurkic in Portland with David Vanderpool. I still think there is a lot of value to be had in being a center who plays in drop coverage. You obviously need the pieces around that to fit. Uh, you need sort of aggressive wings with verticality to help contest at the rim. But I kind of am not, I don't move people down my board if they're not switchable. Now I might put another guy, I might put one guy above another if they're not switchable, but kind of personally, I I would take Goga very high. The lack of switchability, it's, for me, it's more of like a player trait than a necessary weakness. I think you can scheme around. And I'm wondering if you are maybe going to see more drop coverage because of the turnaround for teams like Portland on that end. Well, he's he's got the exceptional length as well. I don't know his exact wingspan numbers, but his does have a good reach. So even if he's not, you know, switching off the perimeter always, you know, he's still able to, I think he'll still be able to make good contest, even if he's running out and just, no contesting from the perimeter. You know, even if he's got guys blowing past him, he'll be able to contest, you know, block from behind just because of that reach. But I do think you bring up some really good points there. He just because he's not able to switch proficiently is it's not a high weakness. You know, he's still very effective defender regardless of that. You know, the switching it only really is emphasized with teams like Golden State or Houston who are just bombing threes nonstop. But I think even with these playoffs you know, you start to seeing teams go away from that switching everything. And like you said, fighting through those screens, running through those screens and just contesting more well off those. So I agree. You Goga would be a really good fit with teams like that just to block off, you know, that deep post area. I think one of the successes of drop coverage as well is that it kind of delays teams. It doesn't necessarily deter them and really good guards, your Damian Lillard's, uh, Kemba Walker's, guys who thrive on those sort of pull-ups. They will go at drop coverage, but I think they they do cause a delay because if you blitz the pick and roll um, badly, the the likelihood is you are going to give up. I'm take this from a Timberwolves fan. We did it a lot towards the end of the season, and we just gave up open shots all over the shop. So I'm still I'm a big believer in Goga. How how high would you take this guy? Because I think I said in our group chat the other day that if I was the Lakers. Um, he would be my pick if Jarrett Culver was off the board. I don't think he is going to be off the board. The top three looks set. But, I mean, would you take him as high as sort of that sort of six or seven range? I, this guy, like I said, I think he's the top 
center in the class and you know it's up to you how high you want to take a center and how high you, or how important you think a center is when it comes to building a team through the draft but yeah I agree with you if I was the Lakers that would be my pick I would take this guy in the top five fairly easily just because like you said that top three is pretty much set and I'm very high on Jared Culver but you know if you need a big and he's there I mean you shouldn't have any fear of taking this guy like you said the drop coverage with him I think would work well because of his length you know he can play back on those screen rolls and even if he's got an attacking guard blitzing against him like I said he can go he's good at going up and not fouling and being able to contest those or being able to body with you know the center coming on the roll and I mean that just goes along with everything else he does like I said I think He's a perfect mold for a modern center just because that three-point shot and then the offensive versatility and that fluidity, I would take him in the top five pretty easily. Even if you look at a team like the Cavs at five, you know, don't really know who they're going to pick. Maybe they trade back, but if they keep that pick, that could be a very good complimentary piece with Colin Sexton and with a guy like Kevin Love to kind of mentor him if he's still there. Or even Phoenix, it would work might work for decently well alongside DeAndre Ayton if you think that I, those guys can, you know, play on the play like a not a stretch four, but you know, if Goga can play on the four, use his three point shot to be out, be a factor out there defensively. I think that fit works really well. So I don't have any issue taking this guy in the top five. No, I don't either. I'm a I'm a really really big fan. He was actually I usually do two mocks, one um, picks I would make and picks. I think will happen. If I was doing the picks I would make, he would be my guy um, for the Lakers. I think he's a just the type of player that, again, he contributes to winning offensive basketball. The ball doesn't stop. Uh, he's quick to get rid of it if nothing's open. And I really am a big believer in this guy. Um, it's clear that's probably our draft crush. We're going to move on to the draft crush of NBA Twitter. Um, a lot of my favorite analysts have Grant Williams forward from Tennessee in their top five, top 10. Um, but if you, again, I lean on Sam Vesney a lot because I think he's pretty, relatively well connected as an NBA draft guy. But he has said that there is a real possibility Grant Williams does not make it, um, does not get selected in the first round. There's a question over whether he might have size problems and athleticism problems in the league. Um, Justin, I'm a big fan of Grant Williams' intelligence and just his, again, we spoke about timing earlier with Brandon Clark. Grant Williams is usually in the right place, and if he's not, he's not far off being in the right place. How? What do you make of this prospect, and why do you maybe think that the league isn't, that we're, that sort of analysts are higher on him than the league is? Well, exactly what you just brought up, his intelligence. I think when it comes to his IQ, this is probably the smartest guy of this bunch that we're talking about. You know, he is making the right plays every time. He's so disciplined. He takes his time with everything. You know, he I love the way he posts up and just waits for things to happen around him. And if there's not anything around him, he goes and takes a shot himself. But he's always making that right play. And he's a, I think he's probably the best passer from the elbows in this class. He's very phenomenal with finding his teammates open off screens. I saw that a lot in the NCAA tournaments, but I mean, I, I watch him and I don't know if I see an NBA starter 
and that's not a knock against him, but the size issues are there. He doesn't have that wide frame that a guy like PJ Washington has, or that Brand Clark has, or I don't know if he has that high level of strength. I don't, I think he's effective posting up and taking shots from the mid range, but I don't really see him operating well in terms of, you know, re- using his body to get good looks towards the rim. I think he uses his body very well in a lot of different other ways, especially defensively. I think he's by far the best perimeter defender of this bunch that we're talking about. His hands are exceptional with poking steals out. You know, he's, I, I'll always bring up the intelligence. I think, I don't think we value intelligence enough with prospects. We want to see the flash. We want to see those measurements, those numbers, but the, the guy is a very, very, very good player when it just comes to just making the the plays that win teams games. But I don't, I wouldn't pick him in the top 10. I think he's perfect in that, you know, 15 to 20 range. I don't, he'll have to get bigger of those. I don't know if he could ever move to the three. I, he can shoot the three decently well, but he doesn't really have as good of a ball handling ability or as good of a drive going to the rim. But I mean, he's just a guy you throw out there. And if he's coming off the bench for a playoff team and impacting a playoff game, that's perfectly fine. He doesn't have to be a superstar. He doesn't have to be starting every game with these guys. And especially you're picking within that area towards the later teens, maybe in the early twenties, if he manages to be there is that you're drafting guys who are just going to come on and impact the game. It's like, it's not even just with his playing abilities. It's his mental edge. It's his leadership. This guy's a phenomenal person, a great locker room presence. Was he driving force of those Tennessee teams? I mean, he's back to back conference player of the year for the reason. Like this guy just has an edge. So even if he's not out there as a polarizing starter, you're not, you know, getting that great production, not getting double digit points out of him, he'll impact the game for you regardless. I mean, you can't understate his defense either. I think he's phenomenal as a help defender and it just keeps going back to his intelligence. He knows how to make those right plays. So I like him a lot. I just don't know. I don't look at him and see a starter, especially not right away. He built, if he builds up more muscle, that's one thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I see as much room for growth uh, muscle wise as I do with some of these other guys, but you can't understate that intelligence, that mental edge, that's going to keep him in the league, even if it's just as a role player. Yeah, I think we're um, kind of on the same page. I think a lo- I think the people who are having the top five are banking on that that sort of physicality not being a problem. But my main issue with him is, I think offensively his value is um, his work at the post, at the elbow. He's a good passer, but but my kind of worry is in in the NBA he's. Um, for me, there are. I've had disagreements with people over this. I worry about that first step and that self creation. I think he's got some nice post moves. I do have some worries about him sort of driving to the basket. And there were a couple of occasions last year where, I mean, I know Rick Barnes. Am I right in saying he's not a very sort of highly rated college coach, or am I wide of the mark there? He's good in that essence. Just he gets a team to come together, and that Tennessee team had incredible chemistry, but it's. He has the same struggles as other college coaches where there's just not that really that many offensive sets. Uh, I do agree with you on the fact that he's not much of a driver. Uh, he's not really blowing by defenders. He's 
dribbling, taking steps in, and then going right into a post up. He's he'll take a step in, and then he's going right to making his putting his back to the defender, and that's what he's doing just about every single time. That's where he's making his place from. Yeah, and that, that that's really what I noticed on tape. There were a couple of times where he would kind of get what I believe to be a spot up three, and he would pass it up, and he would kind of try and drive into the paint. And he would then end up with a pull-up jumper. Now, I don't know whether this was because he knew his limit, his shooting, maybe sort of thought he had these shooting limitations, but I was worried when I saw that because all the defense had to do was basically sort of play that sort of strong side, five-man wall around the paint. And there were occasions where I kind of felt he was dribbling into those shots. I wonder if he's going to be a bench player early on. I would imagine if he gets a creative coach, a, a Greg Popovich or a, you know, someone like that, a playoff level coach. I'm wondering if they're going to get him at the elbow and sort of have cutters and shooters and off-ball guys around him. But my worry is, can he punish people one-on-one enough to justify that usage? Right, and I don't think he has really that go-to offensive move either. Most of the time when he is taking his own shot, working from those elbows, it's a contested pull-up mid-range jumper, as you said. And I've seen some of those same instances that you brought up as well, passing up that three and then trying to force that way closer to the rim, which just was not very effective. I've seen saw the bit in the NCAA tournament as well. Uh, Like with Brandon Clark, I brought up how effective his floater is in the mid-range area. And like the fact that he's able to really contort himself and finish off glass effectively. I don't think Grant Williams has that nearly to the same effect. You know, he doesn't have that offensive repertoire. He's not really as gifted on that end. You know, he'll make an open, he'll make the open threes. I don't know how well he shot from that area, but I know he does hit them. But you know, like, with, like with in San Antonio, would probably be my best fit just because you look at him and he kind of, he's kind of reminiscent of a Spurs player. Uh, he'd definitely need a creative coach, but like you said, I don't know if he'd be able to consistently make teams pay because I don't. Think he has that, you know, that's you no know, spin off the shoulder of a defender and hit that uh, post floater or muscle his way in and make a contested shot off class through three people. I don't think he has that to him. And he, those shots that he is good at taking oftentimes aren't really effective shots, especially not in today's NBA. No, there are kind of like a handful of players you want taking those shots. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge, who if he went to the Spurs, he'd be playing with, is one of those guys who's got that sort of signature fadeaway and you're kind of okay with him taking them. But my worry is, is can Grant Williams develop, you know, 32% three-point shooter this year? Uh, He was 37% in his rookie year, albeit on a smaller sample size. But I'm not kind of buying into him as this potential stretch for, I mean, I've, because it's a weaker strike, I think I've probably got him in that sort of 10 to 15 range, but I'm not as high on him and everyone else for those concerns we just outlined. Whereas, you know, he will get those elbow touches, but in the NBA, you've either got to be able to have that sort of Nikola Jokic step back, or you've got to be able to just absolutely blow past them and get to the rim. And I, I've got concerns over whether he can do that. But he doesn't really play like much of a stretch for either. So that would really be a forced role for him because I don't think he, I don't think he's, he can be fully utilized as a guy where his forefront is three-point shooting because he's mostly reluctant to take those shots. Like his, like his go-to bread and butter on offense is just working from those elbows, working from those in that post area. And it's, you know, you don't really like, there's not much room for him to really 
be effective offensively. And I, and I don't want to say he's peaked as a prospect, but I don't know how much room he has to grow with his offensive capabilities. I mean, you get you'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Obviously, if he works hard and proves, then he does, and he'll prove us all wrong. But with what we've seen now, I just don't know how much better he can get with his offensive repertoire. I mean, he's you'll have to work him in and just hope that his other parts of his game, you know, his passing, his help defense will be enough to really keep him around. But you don't really see him as a go-to offensive guy, especially without a signature move, like you said. No, I'm with you. I think he's smart, but I do kind of worry about that power side of his game. Hi guys, it's Matt here, and we're just going to take a quick time out from Joe Herbert's NBA Draft Special to tell you about our friends over at nbastore.eu. nbastore.eu is Europe's official NBA online store, and it has everything you need to rep your team, and Double Clutch has partnered with them to bring you this amazing offer. Our listeners get 15% off orders with code DCPOD15. So just apply the code at a checkout and a £72 Swingman jersey can be yours for just £61.20. That's DCPOD15. Whatever you need, from the current Nike jerseys to hardwood classics to stand socks and sporting balls, nbastore.eu has you covered. And don't forget, once you get your gear, share it with us on social media at DoubleClutchUK. So, what are you waiting for? Head on over to nbastore.eu now and use code DCPOD15 for some great discount. Now, back to the draft special. We'll move on now to a prospect that I'm quite low on. I actually haven't spoken to you about Jackson Hayes, center out of Texas. He's one of these sort of um, rim-running centers that people are very in on at the moment. You're seeing guys like, I mean, you've got smaller examples like Thomas Bryant, but then you've got your Clint Capellas, Mitchell Robinsons, people like that. Where do you stand on Jackson Hayes? Because I see why people like him, but I've... I've personally got a lot of um, question marks, although this is a new sport to him. He's not been playing it as long as some of these other guys. But where do you stand on Hayes? Well, the captivating thing with Hayes is just how much of a leap he made from the end of his high school days to the beginning of his college career. Uh, He wasn't much of anything as a high school recruit for the most part until you got to like the end of his senior year up until he started playing at Texas, he made this ridiculous leap. And it was really, uh, you could really see just how much work he put in. And it was incredible to see how big of a leap he made in terms of improvement and the way he was able to really find an actual, like create a game for himself. And so with him, you're more so thinking about if he's going to be able to continue making those leaps. If you put him, when he gets to the NBA, you know, he made su- this incredible leap. He put in this hard work and really effectively improved himself from high school to college, you know, it might be easy to assume that he's going to be able to do the same thing from college to the NBA. Now, I don't think he makes much of an impact at all immediately. And if a team drafts him expecting him to make an immediate impact, I, they're going to be disappointed. He's a guy that you should let be play behind a well-rounded center. I think a uh, fit like Atlanta if he got to play behind Dwayne Dedman for a year would be really nice for him. But I mean, you see where some people would drool over him because he's got these incredible physical tools. He moves like a wing. He runs the floor incredibly and he's got this polarizing size. And I mean, when he goes up for shots, you're just looking at him. It's like, it's smothering you. It's almost jaw dropping the way he's able to go up and finish. But I, I think offensively he's extremely limited. I don't have an exact number, but most of his shots were just dunks, uh, either off rolls or, you know, he sets himself well up for passes around the post. 
but I don't think he has much of a touch around the rim. I think he struggle has the same struggles as some other kind of raw centers. They put a lot of power into their layups, and then that that results in a lot of misses bouncing off the back rim. You know, like I keep bringing up with Clark, a guy like PJ Washington, they have incredibly soft touches, and that makes them very effective offensively. Hayes doesn't have nearly the same ability to finish around the rim. You know, he's just a good lob target. He'll dunk over everybody. Uh, I do like his defensive impact. I think he can be extremely well on that end, but he's a project. He's a guy that you're going to take and try to keep growing. Like you said, he hasn't been playing the game that long as well. And it, we're also in a league that just doesn't really show a lot of patience with guys like that. So he's going to have to really make these improvements rapid. You know, I see a lot of people have a lot of faith in his jumper, but I just, he doesn't. He never took a lot of those, and the form isn't really well. He'd have to go to a team that really work with him on that. You know, he does have the soft touch on the jumper, but that's an experiment. And you just you wonder how long it's going to take for him to become, you know, a guy who can go out there and start every day. He just I think it would take a good two to three years at least. Yeah, I'm one of the reasons I've got two main worries about him. One you've mentioned is the extremely one-dimensional offense. It's pick and roll, which is which is fine, but I'm, I don't rate his passing. Uh, there are a couple of people who say he's a willing passer. Uh, while I get that, it doesn't really matter being a willing passer if you can't pass. Um, I felt he was very inaccurate on the occasions he would sort of come out of the pick and roll and... That, that was kind of my main worry for him on offense, but my main worry is defensively. Now, again, this is where it comes into it being a project, and this is why, um, this is why, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Evaluations like this are quite difficult because you are kind of, you, you're admitting that there's a lot of gaps, but the pick and roll defense was pretty ugly. He, um, I'm not even sure it's a case of, I, I'm because the pick and roll defense, because he was so lost on the pick and roll, I don't right. know whether it's that he's not got the footwork, whether he can't come and meet the guard, or whether he just doesn't know where to be. Because he was so lost, I don't know what his limitations are and whether, you know, because I spoke about Goga, we kind of know he's got he's probably going to have to be a drop big in pick and roll uh, schemes. With Hayes, I don't know what you do with him because he just did not look comfortable right, I think it, at all. I think it comes with this field of the game. Uh, like we said, he hasn't been playing for that long at all. So with him being lost at the time, that's more of a mental thing with him not just not knowing where he needs to be or what he needs to do in situations like that. But yeah, the pick and roll defense was, was not great at all. And I don't know what it's going to take from to improve more on that end. It's hard to say because I think you see him running the floor really well. You think his footwork's fine. I don't think his footwork is that great defensively at all in the half court and you, you can just I don't know how you really improve on that you just you kind of just assume that he's going to but if he doesn't then it's going to be a waste of a pick and that's the issue with a guy like this you're we're just talk we haven't seen what he can be and more and more there are more and more cases in recent drafts for those guys where you look at it's like we haven't seen what they're going to be but this guy when he pans out, he's going to be really great. They don't really turn out as well. And you see teams kind of try to avoid that a little bit. And so it's definitely worrisome with him because in an NBA game, I just don't know like how playable he'll be right off the bat. And if he's on the bench, not able to get a lot of minutes, 
then the team and the fans start to lose faith in them. And you like, you'll have to stick with this guy, but it might take a while for him to be able to be playable, especially in the, say a hypothetical playoff series. He's not going to be able to stay out there at all. And so you just have to hope that he'll get there, but that's, it's, that's a risk. It's very skeptical, especially with a guy that everyone assumes is going to be taken in the top 10 or in the late lottery at the latest. Yeah. I just, I mean, if I'm a, an NBA team, I don't see kind of who takes this guy. Cause if you're picking in that sort of 11 to 16 range, theoretically you're not too far off the playoff. So if those teams are trying, I mean, I, I certainly believe that the Timberwolves, Heat and Hornets are trying to make the playoffs just based on the types of the types of rosters they've got, the the pay the payrolls they've got. Why would they kind of take a chance on a guy like this? Because you could theoretically draft a shooter or an off-ball guy, you know, a Tyler Harrow type player who could maybe push you towards that towards that eight seed. A guy like Hayes, I just don't know. You saw Robert Williams, who a lot of people had as a lottery pit last year. He slid, um, and I, I was much higher on him than I am on Hayes. I just there are so many question marks, and I think I, I, I do. I, I mean, it's pretty obvious. I have worries, but I, I don't. With a lot of prospects, I don't like. I can understand where people are coming from, but I think with this guy, it's a lot of guess game. I mean, that I mean, it's a great point you brought up. Those teams in the area that. He's picking are going to want an immediate impact guy. And like I keep saying, he's not going to be that, you know, you'll want a guy that you'll be able to, you know, be like, you can actually play him in key situations and not just wait for him to grow. Like if you're a team like the Heat or the Hornets that are, that haven't been in the playoffs for ages and you're drafting in the late lottery where you're not going to draft a potential game changer. I mean, look at guys like Matisse Thibault. I'd rather have that on my team. I think that would, I think a guy like that is going to make a better immediate impact for a team trying to make the playoffs. A guy like Jackson Hayes, because like, I don't know if you draft him to be a potential starting center down the road and he doesn't turn out like that. Are you okay with this guy coming off the bench and just being a perennial, a good role player for you? And if so, is that even something that he can grow to be? It's just, it's just hard to tell because you're going to have to put a lot of faith in the coach. Like, not even have to, you have to put a lot of faith in the coaching staff that takes him. And with a prospect like this, it's almost dependent. His success is going to be dependent on the staff that gets his hands on him. And with prospects like this, it's more times than not they just don't live up to those fullest capabilities. No, I mean, I kind of think that as well, something else that may factor against him on draft night, and I think this factored against Robert Williams last year, is that there's kind of this this idea now that you can find these rim-running centers quite cheap. Nerlens Noel got a very small contract from Oklahoma City last summer. Then Clint Capella thought he was going to get this massive free agency offer sheet that the Rockets would have to match, and he didn't, and no one offered him. I just wonder whether he's going to be the guy that slides on draft night because teams maybe believe, certainly with the success of Mitchell Robinson last year, though that is a one-off because his shot blocking is historic. You're not going to find many guys like that in the second round. But I'm wondering if guys like that will maybe impact Hayes on draft night and he could be the guy that slides because I just, I don't see, unless a, you know, a, a Cleveland Cavaliers type team trades back and then takes him, 
I just don't understand why a team in that late lottery range would take the chance on him. And that's another great point that you brought up. He's not really a guy that's difficult to find. I mean, the difference makers with bigs nowadays are, you know, one, the intelligence or how well they're able to space the floor. You know, these rim runners, these big guys that can finish dunks on top of everybody, this they're not difficult to find and they don't impact the game in terms of winning as much as other guys do. And so that makes him as a lottery pick, very skeptical. I mean, you, the only thing that really, you look for things that separate them. It's like, all right, what makes this guy, you know, different from the other big athletic rim runners. It's just, you see that size and you see how he's able to get up and like the link that he has. And like, he looks good when he's going up, but in terms of actually impacting the game, like, you said Mitchell Robinson was an outlier because that defensive impact was beyond anything we could have ever imagined. And even with Robert Williams, you know, he had he had stretches where he made pretty good impacts during the regular season. You didn't see him at all during the playoffs. And so there's with Hayes, it's just not really anything that separates him. And I mean, he could be pretty good at what he does when he fills out, but again, that's gonna take time. And then when you think about what he can become when he gets to his peak or anywhere close to his peak. It's like, all right, what does he really bring? Can his jumper ever really fill out to the point where he's reliable from the three point line and can space the floor effectively? Can he ever, you know, be well footed enough to where he's a high impact defender? That's a, that's a coin flip. It's a 50, 50 chance of that. Honestly. Yeah. I'm with you. I think, I think even the people who are quiet, a, a lot of, um, draft analysis is kind of speculation you're kind of predicting skills developing this is in any sport by the way baseball uh the nfl you're kind of looking at what skills can develop i just don't i don't really see what people are buying into with Hayes. i just don't you know some who say he might develop a pick and pop three i just i can't see that I, i just do not see the evidence for that but we will uh, we will move into a prospect who you have named a couple of times so far. We're going to go to PJ Washington now, a guy that I announced yesterday. I want to be the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves selection. I'm a big fan of this guy. I'm kind of getting the sense you are now. You've mentioned his wingspan a couple of times and how he can switch between maybe those three to five positions and maybe some of the bigger two guards, not your CJ McCollum type guards, but your you know your big twos. Um, what are your kind of main strengths for this guy? Is it defensive or do you like his offensive game as well? It's, it's definitely his offensive game that I look to more. That's you no, know, in terms of NBA, I think he'll make his greater impact, particularly his jump shot is picture perfect. Um, I mean, he put a lot of work from his freshman to sophomore year to really transform himself into the player that he is now. And he's, I think, is a phenomenal prospect. And I brought up that wingspan numerous times just because I've seen some people try to say that you no know, he'll he may need to try to move to play small forward i think that's a ridiculous thing to really think of him because with that 73 wingspan he he can still make a good impact because it allows his jumper to really ha- one have a higher release point so it'll be harder to contest but defensively as well that's really high impact defense he's a gr- really well disciplined shot blocker he has good timing on that as well but he can move out his athleticism and his frame are two things that really, I think, complement each other. Along with his, he think he, I think he has really good post footwork as well. Uh, with him as a prospect and how he impacts the team, it's his offense. And one of my favorite things about him as a Kentucky fan, as I watched every game, was 
when Kentucky was in tight games, when they were behind seven or 10 points with like six or five minutes left to go in the game, this guy became unstoppable. Like, and he's not just a guy you feed to the post and he attacks. I mean, he's very good at that as well. His floater is about almost as good as Brandon Clark's, especially on the baselines, but he is very good attacking off dribble from the top of the key or the elbows as well. He can put his shoulder in the guy, take that contact, take the bump and in mid there be have enough body control to hit those, those post floaters. I mean, the jumper, I'll bring that up again. It's so smooth. And I said this a few times earlier, he has such great soft touch on those floaters and those jumpers. Whereas you, you don't really have a, you, you can't really, I, I think it's more likely that all of those things translate, then he'll go out there and just not be able to contend physically. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of his offensive game because I think it's a good complement to a more to a big who's got sort of that outside gravity. Again, Carl Anthony Towns, people like that. The and the sort of the thing I um you know I like him on my particular team is I think he's switchable from those um three to five positions, and I think that's a good fit with with um, guys like Josh Okogi, Robert Covington as well. But I mean, Washington in general, you, you've spoken about his offense there and I'm I'm with you. I think he's got a nice array of floaters. I think the jump shot, I believe in it. There's some who, there's some who don't actually. I don't really quite understand why, but I, I think he can be a reliable stretch for who can also punish, um, he can punish mismatches. I think if teams go small, uh, which a lot of the sort of worst teams do try and do, I think he can just slaughter those smaller uh, fours that will come up. He, he will bat them down the post. He can attack mismatches. But the defense is where I do have some worries. I think he's he's definitely got the frame for it, but the off-ball lapses were poor. And something else I noticed as well is on the perimeter, his, his the stance he took up was was a bit odd. He um, He didn't get down low enough, in my opinion. And it just meant that there were times when he was quite easy to get past which shouldn't yeah. be the case. There were times when opposing post-up players would kind of be able to do the same thing. And I would notice that too. He kind of, he doesn't really get an athletic stance. He kind of just keeps himself flat foot and just raises his arms as high as he can. And I don't know if that's, was just his strategy to not pick up fouls, but I do agree. The defense is going to take a lot of work. I think as a shot blocker, he has a high ceiling, but you know, I don't know. You brought up his ability to switch. I think he's smart enough to be able to do it. I don't know how effective he'll be running around like that. And I don't know if he'd be able to really do anything against opposing ball handlers going up against them. So I agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing is, is I think I think part of the problems I saw defensively were the, were the off-ball lapses. I was concerned at times when he would kind of have to fight through screens. I didn't... I th- there were there were times when I wasn't necessarily quite quite as impressed with the effort, the verticality, the the drive, the motor, the determination that you need to play that sort of role. But I think if you've got switchable pieces on the perimeter, I just think he will um, fare better. I agree with that. Uh, I guess it just depends. You know, the off ball issues. I guess it just it's difficult to really tell how to improve on that because it's depend. Either you're struggling off ball because you don't know your assignments or you don't really have enough awareness to really know know what's going on around you, or you're just not fighting through those baseline or elbow screens enough to really keep on with your guy. But I guess it depends on if 
those defensive struggles outweigh his offensive proficiency. You know, like he said, against small ball lineups, I completely agree. He'd be able to obliterate, you know, smaller fours. I would try to go up against him because he's got that frame and that strength. And his, you know, he really has a good, uh, his ability to work from the post with his back to defenders, be able to turn around, spin off, and get good looks. I think it's, he's got such a good offensive repertoire, but you look at that size, you look at everything else, it's, he's a bit of an enigma. You know, I, Look at teams like Charlotte and Miami could really utilize them really well. Washington, the Wizards could really work with them decently well. And you talk about how you really want him on Minnesota. I actually want to know how do you think him and Towns could really complement each other? I think um, the defense. I mean, the, the thing that's hard to judge about Cat's defense is he's been playing in a in an outdated scheme that's not really fit for the for the purpose, a strong side defense that puts a five-man wall around the paint and it just, there were lapses. But I think what I like about him is I think if we we get quite a lot of switches on cap from four to five, and I think PJ Washington is the type of guy that can just punish, he can punish those mismatches. That's kind of what I, that's the way I believe the NBA is going, certainly with what's happened in the finals with Pascal Siakam throughout the playoffs. Uh, other than the Sixers series, but certainly in the conference finals, he just he just obliterated smaller fours. He, and I think PJ Washington, I again, this is he's I'm I'm higher on him than most, so there is a little bit of bias and and a bit of homerism coming in. But I think that's what he's going to be valuable at, and I think that's the kind of guy we need to put alongside Cat. I would be happy with him or Brandon Clark, though. Yeah, so it's that slashing ability, that ability to really cuts the rim off dribble and uses footwork is kind of what separates him in that regard. Yeah. And it's floor spacing, you know, Dario Saric is not a stretch for, he he can shoot there, but his, his, um his strength is his playmaking from the four position, which is why I don't believe in the fit. And I still um, prefer Taj Gibson at the four to Saric, despite what the on off numbers um, may say. I, I think having I think Washington is the guy that we have been looking for to put alongside Cap. Right. And I, like I said earlier, that his jumper is just it looks so beautiful. And you know, I brought up how good of a shooter Gogo Batizde is. It makes me wonder I think those would be my two guys in terms of you know, how proficient they are on offense and how much better or how much of an impact they make on offense. I wonder which one has a higher ceiling of just when you throw them out there, just offensive scoring thread is just, I wonder which one could, which one could be, I guess, viewed upon as better down the road. Yeah. he They're both the type of players that the, the word I keep coming back to is fluidity. There's, there's some bigs who I think in this draft class are, I get the sense with Hayes. I think the ball can stop with them. If you can take away that role game, whereas with these guys, I, I just don't think that I think, they contribute to a fluid and they they'll be a big part of offensive sets. Right. And I mentioned earlier, PJ's got really that mental edge too, because he doesn't waver when the moment is biggest on him. He's almost always pulling through and almost always, you know, pulling through and making those big shots when the team makes them most. That's what I love most about him. And it was the biggest improvement that he made from freshman to sophomore year. Like you obviously the size he filled out a lot more and he changed the mechanics on his jumper. But when he was a freshman, he 
there were times where just he didn't really want to be didn't look like he wanted to be out there because the moment was becoming too much and then he really just hunkered down and just changed his mental fortitude completely and it was an incredible thing to see as a fan and just viewing him as becoming an NBA player because he made such a huge jump as a guy who would maybe get picked in the 40s to now we're talking about this guy as possibly the most offensive gifted big in his class. Yeah, I've I've been I've just been very impressed with him. The tape, the tape was very good. And I I don't understand why people have guys like Hayes above him. I don't I don't understand why you would bank on a ceiling that kind of might not happen over a guy where you can see what he can do and and you can see growth. You know, we spoke about Grant Williams and how we kind of both think he is what he is. I think he has Pete. I think there's more to come from Washington. I really think he can be a a stretch forward that causes problems as a shooter, but as a matchup guy, that's that is why I'm big on him and why he's knocking on the door of my top five. How high would you take him? If, I've said a few times if Atlanta wound up picking him at eight, I'd be or eight or ten, I'd be perfectly happy. Uh, it really just depends on what your team needs. I'm looking at the teams now. I mean, teams like. Phoenix, Washington, like you said, Minnesota, Charlotte, all those guys could really use, you know, a very versatile four like that. I don't know if I would think about taking him as high as five or six, but I think if he was be picked, you know, at eight to 10 or anywhere in that range or anywhere to the close to the end of the lottery, I feel would be best suited for him. Uh, if he were to fall outside of the lottery close to twenties, I'd be very surprised just because of everything you'd be saying, but I'd have no issue taking him in the top 10 at all. No, I wouldn't either. I do think he'll, I don't think we'll pick him. I think he'll go in that sort of Charlotte Hornets, Miami Heat range. I think he's a good fit with both of those teams who need a guy who can um, be that shot creator from the front court. I think both teams miss that. But we'll move on now to the most unknown, I would say the most unknown prospect in the draft of, you know, of the of the guys projected to potentially be lottery picks. Uh, Seku Dumboya, he's Guinean, although he will, I believe he's going to play for France um, because France have those colonial links where they will take um, like Zenedine Zidane quite famously from Algeria. So they've got those links as well. Um, Dumboya, he's 18. He's six foot nine, which is not actually as big as some of the guys. Some of the guys I'm going to talk about in the Wings podcast, but he's 18, so we could theoretically grow even more. Um, the tape for Dumboya is quite hard to find. He's not played anywhere near as many games as some of the guys we've talked about. But what have you kind of made of what you saw on the tape? It's really difficult to say. When I first started watching him, I saw a guy who... You know, I could see some like a good, you know, put him at the four sort of as a tweener, be able to be able to work, uh, work with the ball in his hands, go to the rim and shoot threes. I almost wanted to make a Pascal Siakam comparison because I could kind of see the kind of link that he had and the things that he was able to do. But when I really thought more about that and start watching more tape. I don't think he has I don't think he could be anywhere near as good with the ball in his hands going towards the rim as a guy like Pascal could. Uh, I don't think he's much of a driver at all. And my main, my main issue with him now is like, I watch him and I don't know if he's supposed to be a three or four. And I don't know if he can play either at a really high rate. 
You know, he's got good athleticism. He's kind of fun to watch because he'll finish a lot of dunks over people. He'll make those open threes. But other than that, I just don't really see that much going with him. You know, if you know, if I'm a team that is taking him, I don't. I think you'd have to try to make him to a four. Uh, if he grows, I mean, if he can grow more, maybe lose some weight and work on his ball handling more and sort of work on his slashing, then maybe you could see him playing more as a wing player. But I don't really see that much in him. I don't think he really offers that much defensively either. No, he is just a bit of an enigma because you don't, we don't have that much to gauge off of. And we get the sense that teams are kind of liking him in workouts. Which, you know, we'll have to see which team, like who ends up taking him. But he's another one of those guys that is, I think is going to have to be dependent on the coaching staff that gets him. And the, those guys are really going to have to form him in the, what he is. But what, based on what I've seen on his overseas tape, the way he plays over there, I don't think he could be much of anything in the NBA. Uh, maybe bring him off the bench for, you know, maybe be a good rotational piece, but I don't see anything further than that. I kind of get where you're coming from about the sort of positional thing. I think what I think what people are banking on with him, and it's kind of what I spoke about PJ Washington, it's mismatches. I think if you have guys who can attack mismatches, you are essentially dictating the way the lineups of the other team are going to have to play against you. Uh, but but while Washington has a very has a lot of tape, you can use to back yourself up. Dumboya doesn't. His early tape. I'm being a bit harsh on an 18-year-old who's not even 19 for another six months, but the early Tate was dreadful. Like he just did not look. He played. He grew up playing um, football, but he was he's too big. You can't be a six foot ten footballer. It just does not happen. Uh, there's very few of them who've ever made it. But he's not been playing basketball for that long. But he looked lost on the court. We spoke about earlier with Jackson Hayes, where he didn't know the right positions to be in. And a lot of what he did was kind of what I would call the spectacular, which I believe you spoke about earlier with how people look for that in a prospect rather than fundamentally sound guys. Um, he's got some nice fadeaway jumpers. I do believe in the three-point jump shot. I think I've seen, I like the mechanics. I like the high release he gets on it. But there's just so much unknowns and it's really kind of hard to decipher. Um, I, 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 I rate him as a driver. I think he can be that guy who who makes the most of the opportunities he gets, but the decision making, which is not surprising for an eighteen year old, is dreadful. Um even some of the fadeaway shots he made, they were with like, you know, fifteen seconds on the shot clock. That's not a good shot. I don't care who you are. You've got to move the ball. Um maybe if you're up against a guard or whatever, fine, but they're not good shots. Um and I came away I think in a weak draft, I think guys like this float to the top. I don't think he would have been a first-round talent last year, but he's a guy. He He's kind of a guy that I think someone like the Charlotte Hornets is going to take and just hope for the best. Yeah, I agree. I agree with basically everything you said. The decision-making, like you said, it's, yeah doesn't seem really up to par with anyone else we brought up. And like you said, I, I also do believe in this three-point jumper, but I don't know if he could make that same shot with and the fender in his face or coming off a screen or anything. So it's just really hard to say. Like you'll just have to hope that he'll be able to grow into something better than what we saw. But with drafts nowadays, you know, when you're looking at guys who are going to be difference makers in the NBA, I think we're seeing more and more successful prospects or guys who did what 
they were able to do in college, be able to do those same things in the NBA with just major improvements in specific areas. But the guy like Demboya, the way he plays over there, just it won't be able to translate if he doesn't make those changes that are needed. No, I mean, you know, I, I think he's the he's the kind of player that, and this is really cliche. The term boom or bust is thrown around all the time. I've not seen, and you know, I follow the NFL as you know. I've not seen a more boom or bust prospect than this. It would not surprise me if in four years he's this mismatch guy who is just shredding people, getting to the rim and opening everything up for everyone. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was like a the eighth man on the on the Austin on the Austin Toros. It just I do not know what to make of him, and it's it's not it's not great for analysis because there's it's, it's just so. It's so hard to look at the tape and predict whether those fadeaways are going to be what he is or whether the flashes he's sown where he'll sort of um, come off a Spain PNR and he'll take someone down low and just, just get to the rim in two steps. It's it's almost impossible to kind of make a sense of this guy. And I think this is where draft analysis is hard and why, you know, it's really difficult to scout these these young prospects, especially from these sort of lower French teams. Right. And you kind of brought this up earlier when you were talking about, when we were talking about PJ and how anyone could have, I got like Jackson Hayes over them, over him. And I've seen some big boards that have had Seiko over PJ as well. I almost think there's a stigma that bigs, those power forwards, you know, they need to have that height and that size. And I, I, I think it's going to take a few more years for, really the whole draft culture to really accept that you don't have to be 6'10 or 6'11 or 6'9 Dubai's case to be effective down low or effective around the rim. Uh, it's just that height doesn't really matter in these cases. You got to really think about whether what difference those couple of inches really make versus, you know, how it truly impacts their game. And it's just like you said, if he does reach Limits. I don't. I think the sky is a limit for him because he does have good off dribble ability, and I think he can finish over people. And you were talking about attacking mismatches earlier, and I think he's a guy if he fills out well enough, could be able to attack mismatches really well. But again, just we have nothing on tape that is really signifying that. You're just hoping that's going to happen. And so I, I don't know if I'm a like you said, I don't think he would be a first round pick in any of the past recent drafts that we've had. And we talk about we were talking about, you know, those teams in the late lottery range that, you know, have haven't been in the playoffs for a while and are just doing whatever they can to try and make the playoffs. Is Seiko a guy that you bring on and is really going to help you take a few steps closer to the playoffs right away or even in a couple of years? I I personally don't see it at all. No, I think he's a stash guy in that kind of... I might be wrong, he may go in the lottery, um, but I think he's the kind of guy you take in that 20 to 25 range and you stash overseas if he wants to do that because the, the thing that worries me most, and again, I, I know I'm, this, he's 18 and he's only been playing the sport, I believe, I read his story, I believe his first time he picked up a basketball was when he was 13, when they basically said, yeah, you're too tall to play football. Um, but the thing that worries me is he turns it over a lot and it's not on 
it's not like he's trying anything spectacular. He's just trying to drive to the paint from the corner. I think if you're turning it over on those kinds of plays, that that's a big red flag to me if you're scouting him. Even though there's a very small sample size, his tape, the turnovers for me show a lack of feel for the game um, and the fact that he may rely too much on that physical talent. He's bigger than the majority of I mean, he's bigger than anyone his age in France. He's bigger than a lot of the, the fours and threes that he ends up attacking as well. Well, the football thing is interesting because when I watch him, he, it's almost like his attitude in the court is reflective of a football player. He's got aggressiveness. He's always trying to, you know, dunk and posterize everybody's coming across. And, you know, it's that physicality and that, I guess that, you know, high edge attitude is, could be beneficial, but it seems like this guy is just an athlete that needs to figure out how to play the game. And I mean, I would agree with you on, I wouldn't take him in the top 20, uh, even in this wicker draft in the 20 to 30 range. Sure. Uh, would like to see him stay overseas and try to really form himself because I think if he came to the NBA now, he just wouldn't really be able to find himself anywhere he's a guy that if he did play a few more years or a couple more years overseas you could really he could maybe really start to figure out more of a game for himself or we could get a better sense of what kind of player this guy actually is i mean basically saying the same things over and over again but like all he has right now is that physical edge and athleticism and the ability to hit an open three and i just it's too it's not one dimensional but it's just not enough for the nba and how like there's too many guys that are just who have that and then plenty of other things. Yeah, I do not envy the scouts in the NBA scan departments who have been uh, given been assigned him because there's just so many so many question marks. That feels like a good way to end the podcast on the most complex prospect. Thank you for coming on. Uh, of course, it's been a pleasure. It's always good to get your draft thoughts. You've been covering it. Uh, for a very long time if you want to follow Justin for his draft tweets about a lot of things as well but draft stuff at hodgepodge hoops um, you will not regret it it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Justin <laughs> <laughs>